Exodus 3, verses 1 through 5, we can just follow along here. It says that Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. We talked about the burning bush. We talked about how God will do things to get our attention. And it says, he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. It was an amazing thing. Moses had never seen anything like it. And so he said to himself, I will turn aside, and I will see this great sight. Well, how come this bush is not burnt, you know, it's not completely burned? Um, and so when he turned to see, and we talked about the value of turning to God when he's trying to get our attention, that as he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. So God calls his name, just like he calls our name. And he waits for our response. And Moses said, here I am. And God waits to hear that from you and me as well. Lord, I'm open. I'm, I'm listening. I'm ready. And it says that he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off of your feet for the place where you stand. It is holy ground. And we talked about the significance of holy ground. We talked about why the Lord would have instructed him to take off his sandals. We talked about what it meant symbolically. We talked about how, you know, that is customary in the East. You know, it's that you come into a holy place or a place that um, is, is somewhat kept. You take off your sandals. You don't bring the dirt and the, and the impurity into that place. It's, a, it's also a sign of humility. But one of the things that's also clear here is that what made this ground holy ground was not the, you know, geographical um, location or the unique composition of the specific dirt and land or where the bush was located. That's not what made it holy. What made it holy was not that unique place geographically or compositionally. It was the unique presence of the Holy One that had settled upon it. And we talked about that. It was almost like God was saying to Moses, you know what? I want you to stand on this holy ground where my presence is. As you come into my presence, I need you to take off your sandals. And it's more than just holiness and humility. It is something more, I think, than that even. I think it was God's part, and I'll explain this in a moment, what this take is, but I think it was also partly God saying, you know what, Moses, what you're about to be asked to do is going to look impossible. But I want you to understand that what you're going to be asked to do is, is going to be something that is a God thing, not a you thing. And again, in the desert, a sandal was of great importance, right? Uh, it was crucial for survival. You, if, if in the desert sands, they were hot, they were so, you, you needed to wear your sandals just to escape the, the absolute fiery heat of the desert sand. But on top of that, there were insects, there were scorpions, uh, jagged rocks, jagged stones. Sandals were essential for protection. And to be barefoot was to be vulnerable. It was to be exposed. And so we see God saying to Moses that essentially some, is something he will, what he will say to you and me as well. And that is this, that what I want to do in and through you, it's going to be dependent on your dependence on me. You're going to need to be vulnerable to me for this to happen in your life. Um, you will not, and Moses, because you're not going to be able to do this on your own. You're going, to, you're, going to need to, you're going to need me to do what I'm asking you to do. And again, I think when we stand in our own shoes, we can think of it that way, in our own sandals, we are always limited by our own capacity. But when we stand in him with our shoes off, as it were, 
we are almost saying, Lord, I am utterly dependent on you. I, I, there is something that I, see, I can't do on my own. There, there's this idea that when we are standing with God in the vulnerable place, we're not limited by our own capacity. Now, all of a sudden, God is brought into the picture, and really that changes everything. The entire landscape is shifted when God is in the picture. And again, this reminder that a lot of times to be able to move forward with God, we're going to have to take not only the humble place, but also we're going to need to be vulnerable to him and be open because he wants to do things in our lives. Now, that brings us to verse 6. It says, Moreover, the Lord said this, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. So God expresses himself covenantially here. He identifies himself historically. He says, I'm the God of your father. I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. Uh, I, have, I am coming to fulfill a promise I have made. And it says that Moses was afraid. Verse 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. And I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And so I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the, that land to a good and large land, from a place of oppression to a place of plenty and provision, to a land that's flowing, he says, with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. That's a lot of ites right there going on. But basically the Lord is saying, I have a new place for you to go. And, and, and I want you to take my people to a place of promise and possibility, a promised land. The time is now for them to leave this place of affliction. And he says, now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, I will send you to Pharaoh. And verse 10, you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So I want to send you, Moses. That's what I want to do. And, you know, we notice a couple of things here. In verse number 9, it says, now. God says, now, therefore. And it's a reminder that, there, that, that the time had come, that whatever prayers had gone forth and however things are moved in the time clock of heaven and eternity, however God responds, which is much different than you and I and how we live our lives and sort of as completely... Uh, participating in time and space, God stands outside of time, is an entirely different uh, way of being than what we experience. And yet it says here that God decides that this is the time. And it's been said there's nothing more powerful in this world than the power of an idea whose time has come. But there is one thing more powerful than the power of an idea whose time has come. And that is when God says the time has come. And when he says that the clock has struck, that I will say this, nothing will prevail against it. No, no man, no movement, no mighty nation, no pharaoh, no kingdom, nothing. And so we see here Moses, the old shepherd, on the backside of the desert, right? He is being told of two things that seem incredible to him. One, that God is about to deliver his people. That all the, the things that he had in his own heart felt God had wanted to do years ago, that all the cries of his people, the, the confinement, the enslavement of his people, that God was saying, now I have made a decision. Now is the time for them to be set free and to come free of this Egyptian bondage. And it is now. That was one thing. But the, but the thing that was more incredible to Moses was that God was telling him, and not only am I going to do this for my people as I keep the promise I have made, but 
I'm intending to use you, Moses, to be the point man for this deliverance. Now, for Moses, he could, I think he had an easier time believing the first thing than he did the second thing. Because what's very apparent here, and it shows up in verse 11, is that Moses is anything but desirous to move in this direction. It says in verse 11, but Moses said to God, look at it, he says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Lord, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? What do you, what, I mean, <laughs> oh, has time and age changed Moses? Uh, this is a very different man than he was 40 years before when he felt like he knew he was the one. He was young, he was powerful, he was accustomed to getting his way, he was self-confident. There was a kind of, uh, if we can look at it, maybe a subtle arrogance even there, that he was the one, and yet it, it hadn't worked. And so now the years have passed, and Moses is a very, very different man. I mean, shepherding has chastened him. Um, the solitude is, has sobered him. Time has tamed him. I mean, he is a different man than he was, and... And he says basically like this, Lord, Lord, okay, wait, Lord, do you know who I am? I, I am a nobody. That's what he's saying. What are you talking about? Not me, Lord. I'm, I'm, <laughs> nobody's going to listen to me. Lord, I'm, you got the wrong guy. Who am I to talk to Pharaoh? You got the wrong guy. You, you need to find somebody else. I'm not me. Who, me? Not me. I don't want to be. I don't want to do it. I'm not your guy. I, I, I find somebody. You see this whole pushing back on God. Now look what it says happens. And, and again, and no, by the way, you know what's interesting here to me, at least, is that the, what Moses finds is sort of like what he is uh, questioning the most. Think about it. Look at what's happening here. Um, what is Moses really questioning? It's not, it's not the, the reality of what he's experiencing, Right? It's the rationality of the request. I mean, the fact that he's talking to a bush, <laughs> talking to God in a bush, right? That one, he totally, he's to that's not even an issue. The issue for him is that you're asking me to do this? And I mean, you talk about it. I mean, he, what he doubts is not that God is talking to him right now, which is where I would get stuck. Would be like, what is happening here? Right? But he's not doubting the voice coming out of the bush. He's not saying, is that really you, God? No, what he's saying is, Lord, I don't, I don't, I don't like your plan. <laughs> and I doubt its, its sensibility. He's arguing. He's pushing back. He's, he's conversing with, with the Lord. And he's saying, Lord, I'm not the guy. You got the wrong man. Maybe, whatever that was, it's not who I am now. And then look at God's answer in verse 12. He says, so he said, Lord, no, no, no. I, I, will, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you, that when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Now notice, God's answer to Moses is, who am I that I should go? God's answer isn't, well, Moses, you're, you're better than you think you are. You know, God doesn't start, Moses says, who am I? God says, mm, I will be with you. That's all you need to know. You look how God answers that question. Moses says, who am I? I can't do it. I don't have the ability, Lord. You know. And the Lord says, that's not the issue. The issue is not who you are, it's who will be with you, and I will be with you. And he says, Moses, let me tell you something. I will give you a sign, and that sign will be this, and you will remember it when it comes to pass. I tell you this even now, that this very mountain that you stand in front of, that this, this very place, I tell you of a truth, that you will take the people 
out of Egypt, and you will lead them to this place, and they will worship me here in this place, the very place that you are standing now. I tell you, and when that happens, you will remember the words that I have spoken, and you will see them come to pass. What is required of you is not an assessment of who you are. What is required of you right now is to believe that I am with you, and I am calling you to do this. What is required of you is faith. It's a much different situation, right? It's the bigger issue. And then he says in verse 13, um, Moses said to God, well, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and, they, and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? In other words, what Moses is, no, no, okay. Just stop for a moment. Look at what's happening here. What it, God says, I want you to go. I will be with you. I'm gonna show you how to do this. Um, you watch, it's gonna happen. Moses, his imagination kicks in. And he starts envisioning a conversation that he's gonna have with his people. And he starts thinking in his mind, like we are, we are also apt to do, right? He starts envisioning um, how he's going to be interacting with his enslaved people and how it's going to go. Because why do you think he's doing that? Because the last time he tried to suggest that God had impressed him to, uh, to lead, he was utterly rejected. He was not received. It was summed up in the phrase by his own, by the very person he was trying to, to help and, and arbitrate. They said, who made you an arbitrator and a judge over us? Who do you think you are? That somehow you would assume a place of leadership over us. We saw what you did. You killed that Egyptian. That's what, it was that moment when he was rejected by his own people that Moses, having already turned his back on Egypt, runs for his life to the land of Midian out of Egypt as a fugitive, that was like a chapter behind in his life that he was still, if you, you can feel it, you can see that, even after, and it's true for some things in our own life as well, because for Moses, even after four decades, 40 years, the sting of that rejection is still on his mind. He can still feel it. And I look, I, I, it's like, like he's saying, look, Lord, I tried this before. And it didn't work. Why do you think in any way, shape, or form they're going to receive me this time? Come on. I'm, look at me. I'm a shepherd. I'm, I'm a, my best days are behind me. I, that, you know what, Lord? I'm going to get to them, and, and, and I'm going to say, the Lord, what am I supposed to say? The Lord sent me to deliver you? And they're going to say, well, how do we know that? What, what proof do you have? Who, why should we believe that God sent you to deliver us? And so he's having this conversation. It's going on in his mind. And he's saying, Lord, they're not going to believe me. i got to be able to tell them something. Lord, you got to be able to give me some inside information here. Because unless I get some more information that I can tell them that will make them believe that I am indeed coming as your representative, you know, Lord, it's just not going to go right. I can already tell. I don't want to do it. And the Lord says, all right. I'll tell you what my name is. Now prepare yourself, Moses, because um, this is a bit of information that when you get it, and you tell them that I, I, this is my name, it's going to change everything. Now, now, okay. And God said to Moses, when he says, Lord, what is your name? He says, I am. Okay, God, what is your name? He says, I am that I am. That's what you need to tell them. Okay, Lord, you're telling me that when I get, to, get there and I say, what is your name that I'm supposed to say I am? Yes, that's what you're supposed to say. The I am who I am. He said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now on the surface, that, that's like, that couldn't have been that encouraging to Moses. And we shall see that it, 
But, what, but now I'm going to tell you something. There's something. So, we look at that and we read it. What is God saying? What is this? It's like, doesn't, what does it mean? What's happening here? What is, why does God say that? I am. What's he getting? I mean, oh, but I'm telling you, it's so profound. Now, in the, one of the interesting things is that in the original Hebrew language that the scripture was written in, uh, the, what is translated I am is actually only four Hebrew letters. They're all consonants because there are no vowels in the Hebrew. And then the four letters, Y-H-W-H. And that is called by theologians the nomen tetragrammaton, which is simply the name of four letters. Now, as the years go by, what happens in the Middle Ages is two vowels are placed into, because they've, they've lost the ability to pronounce the name, it's so holy, they have to stop saying it. Over time, its pronunciation is lost. So what they do in the Middle Ages is they put two vowels in, A and an E. That's where we get Yahweh. That's also sometimes Jehovah. But then they didn't even want to write that. So over time, every time the name came up, they would substitute, out of respect, Adonai, which means Lord. So whenever you see, saw the name, it would be put, they would put Adonai in, in its place. But in reality, when God says to Moses, I am, I am that I am, he really is revealing something about himself and what is that? What does he mean? What is he saying to Moses? Moses saying, Lord, who are you? How, what are you doing here? And, and what's going on? And how can I let them know who you are? And he basically says, I am the one who defies explanation. I, I am the one who defies containment. I am the one who is eternal, unchangeable, the first cause, the creator, the ultimate beginning, the, the self-existent one. I mean, you think about what God is saying, upon which all other existence depends and shoots forth. I am that I am. And when I do something, it will come to pass. And you know one of the interesting things too about this is that when God, when Moses says, what is your name? God gives him not a noun, but a verb. Because the root of that word is a verb to be. And it's a reminder that God is not simply a static being, but an active being, always on the move. And of course, his ultimate movement is revealed in the giving of his only son. When he comes as Yeshua, Jesus, God, our salvation, is, a, is an amazing thing. And Jesus himself will refer back to the I am on more than one occasion. It's interesting to see it. Now, when we come to this point here, one of the things that struck home, especially as it pertained to Moses, and now I want to flip this around and have us sit with it in the time that we have left as it pertains to our own walk and journey with God. Because one of the things that I think is worth noting here, and it shows up again with Moses in his reluctance to move forward with what God is asking him to do, is how powerful our past scripting can actually be when it comes to sort of moving forward with things, especially things that God might be asking us to do. Um, the, um, what we're talking about, when I say scripting, you know, someone says, what is that? It's, it's the ways of being and our ways of responding that are often connected to patterns and experiences of our past that have deeply, that have deeply impacted us. And so a lot of times we, we move out of things, or the way we move in the present is connected to things and experiences that we've had in the past. And in Moses' case, he, think about this, he is so impacted by his past failure and rejection, by that devastating end 
of that chapter in his life where he is thinking, God is in this. They're going to recognize that I've given up everything to do what God has asked me to do, to be a, a leader for them and to help my people. Surely they will receive me. And then to have it end so differently than what he had envisioned, to be so utterly rejected and turned away by his own. It was painful, so painful, that even after this long period of, has passed, again, four decades, that you can still feel how vulnerable he is to the pain of his past and to the rejection that he had received from his, by his people and to such a degree that Moses is almost paralyzed in, in terms of his ability to just move forward with some of the things God's asking him to do. I mean, he's, he comes across as so reluctant, so tentative, so excuse-driven um, that, that, you know, again, and pain and wounding can do this to us. It, when, we, when we really get hit by it, it can, it can take away our ability to move forward with God. And we get, we get locked up. We get stuck on things. And it's inhibiting, as a follower of Jesus, a lot of times we are inhibited in our ability to move forward with what God's trying to do in our lives because we're stuck on things of our past that are really are affecting our ability to just be responsive to the Lord. And I was thinking about it just from a natural standpoint. You know, a couple of days ago, I really, I mean, I've been, I've been having a... a, a I, had a, I pulled a muscle, and I've been trying to just kind of run through it, and I was, you know, I'm, people have been joking just because you're getting so much older, right? I threw my back out, right? It's amazing how many 40- and 50-year-olds came and talked to me about the back going out. And uh, I'm just saying, and I know it doesn't apply to everybody, but uh, when you get my age, what happens is a lot of times, well, let me put it this way. A couple of days ago, I couldn't even move. And I was going, Lord, I'm, I'm going to have to get up. I'm going I'm to, I get to get up and, and share, and, you know, for me to do this, I kind of, I, I need to be able to move around, you know, I, I'm used to that, and yet I was so locked up, and you know what had happened is, the, I went and I got some, got some help, someone worked on me a little bit, and <laughs> thank you, Lord, and as a result, because I was in so much pain, and you know what happened is I, she said, well, you know what, when you pulled that muscle, it tightened up your, the, another muscle that pulled down on, basically is, this is tight as a, as a guitar string. And it was just all tensed up, locked up. Everything in it was just, you know, just totally, I felt like a pretzel. I mean, it was awful. It was painful to move. And I was going, and she said, you, you got to get, get that moving, let the blood flow in, get some uh, tension release, right? And let it start to heal itself. The body wants to heal itself. But it's all, if it's all locked up, and I thought that's how a lot of us are inside. It's just like pain. And we're locked up. And it's just tight in there. And when we move, it's, and see, God, listen, he wants to get us to where we can move freely in him. We can move. May not, we may have always residual pain, but we're getting, he wants us getting better. He wants us to grow past things. He wants to heal us of things. I mean, God really does want to do that because he cares about the impact of our lives and others, as we'll see. And look at what he says to Moses, the second piece. Look what he says. He says, basically, Moses, remember this. That this is not really about, about you. It's not so much, and again, if we apply it to ourselves, it's not so much about who we are as much as it is about who he is. It's like when God says to him, it's not about Moses, it's not about who am I, it's about the I am. It's, Moses says, what a, Lord, who am I? And God says, I am. 
And, and, and we see that difference. Moses says, who am I? God says, it's not about who you are. It is about who I am. And everything depends on where we put the accent and the emphasis. And Moses is saying, Lord, I can't do this. I'm not your man. Find somebody else. I don't got it. I don't have it. I don't have it. God says, it's not about who you are. It's about who I am. And if you will walk with me, I will do this thing. I will to do it. And we're going to see, this <laughs> is going to be amazing because chapter three and half of chapter four is this wrestling match between God and Moses. God says, you can do this. Moses says, uh, Lord, what about this? God says, no, 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 we can take care of that. No, Lord, what about this? And there's this back and forth and God's wrestling with Moses and Moses wrestling with God. And there's this one excuse after another. And you know what? God's grace just keeps pursuing him, working with him to get past himself. And I'm, I'm reminded that, you know, when God's working on us, now, he won't ever force us to do anything, but he can apply some pressure and to get our attention to where we say, Lord, I'm willing to do it. And there's no better illustration of that than right here with Moses and God. Because honestly, Moses doesn't want to do it. And he's fighting God. He's going to try to fight him off. But again, the Lord says, this is not about you, Moses. If it is about you, this won't work. But you need to learn how to live in who I am. You need to learn that what I'm asking you to do is to walk with me. Again, Moses says, what about me? God says, it's not about you. It's about me working in you. Watch what I will do. And again, and this is the third piece, he's trying to tell him, and I think all of us, is that number, really, before we can ever free others, which is what God wants to do through Moses, free his people, that we ourselves have to get free ourselves, right? We have to be free of ourselves, and a lot of times we get stuck there. And, and again, God wants us to be also a people, a person who is capable of delivering others. I'm convinced that God, okay, I believe this, that God has people uniquely for us to touch and impact and affect for God's goodness and grace. And some of those aren't even born yet. But the Lord will use your life to be part of a larger story that has to do with the reality of God. And he wants our lives to be open to him and available to him. He wants us to walk around like the sower who went about sowing a seed, speaking good. It doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean we have it all together, but it does mean we're on the mend. We're getting better. We're not locked up so that we cannot do the things that God's trying to ask us to do. We're able to be, and then that's gonna happen. We, we, we are devoting ourselves to trying to live a life that allows us to live in the freedom of God because Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, that the Son, the one whom the Son sets free, is free indeed, that God does want to work dimensions of freedom into our lives because he cares about people who we interact with. Many, for many people, the only Jesus they will ever see, and it's, a, it's perhaps an overused statement, but nonetheless it is effective and true, that for some people, the only Jesus they will ever see or the only real picture of what they will think about Jesus is often associated with your life. And that if there's ever going to be a bridge to God, it's going to come through, honestly, us. And specifically, in certain circles, not going to hear it from someone like me. You're going to have to hear it from someone. It's just we're all different. We all have different people that we connect with and touch. And, and the Lord cares about everybody. But it means that we really got to be, listen, increasingly able, not perfectly, but able and open to being ambassadors for Jesus wherever we go. It means we're going to have to acquaint ourselves, not with just what someone told us about Jesus. You actually got to read what he said. We're going to need to take time to investigate his word and let that word live in our lives. But God has so much he wants to do in and around us. I mean, it's an incredible thing. 
And, and again, though, if we're going to experience that freedom in Christ, then it's going to be also something that's going to require something from us. And what that freedom is going to require, it's going to require us yielding and submitting things of our past frequently, our past wounds, our past injuries, areas of our lives that have been, been sort of uh, connected to chapters that are affecting our ability to move forward with God now or to love well, to live well, that we're going to have to say, Lord, I need to surrender this to you. I need to let this thing go. It might have to do with something that was said four decades ago, Moses. And, a, and it's still with us. It could have been from a, a, something passed down, something that was a devastating experience. It might just have to do with something we're walking through right now, but it's got us so locked up that we can't move forward with God. And the Lord wants to get at those things because he cares, not even just about us, but about the people we're going to affect. And so it has to do with submitting our life. It has to do with surrendering. Yes, our wounds, our injuries, our trust. Some of us have had trust injuries that honestly... <laughs> are really hard to get past, but the Lord wants us to move on. Moses, I know you were affected. I know you were hurt, but you need to move forward because I have a new thing I want to do. You think your best days are behind you, but I'm telling you, I have something to do in your life. And that's the, that's the last thing I'll say in this regard, and that is this, that God wants us to stay faith-filled and optimistic and that means that we need to keep our attitudes in a good place. We need to work with God, not allow the negativity of what we're walking in or what we've experienced to dictate how we are facing our future. It may be an overused concept, but I'm going to tell you something. It matters so much. I mean, one of the things that I think is so crucial for us is just not to allow our defeats or our disappointments or the devastating places of our past to impact our ability to move forward with God as healthy and growing people in the Lord so that we can love better, live better, honor God better, be a kind of, uh, uh, how do you say it, giver of good words that he wants us to be. But he, we can't do it when we're locked up ourselves. So God wants to set us free. And here's the thing. The song that we're closing with, it speaks so much to this. And I just want to, okay, here's what I want to say about this, this last moment, because I love this song. Um, and I love what it says. And part of what I love about it is because it say, it's like a prayer. For some of us, listen to me. This is how I would like us to consider receiving these last minutes. Perhaps there are some areas in our own heart that we're working through, some issues that are coming to the surface, things that we're walking through now or things that have happened in the past. But God's starting to say, you know what? Let those things go. Trust me with them. Give me the ability to move you into a better place. And so we're going to say maybe along the way here, Lord, that's what I want to do. I want to give this to you. I want to lay this at your feet. I want to live in the life that you have for me. Uh, some of us, maybe we think of someone we care about. As the song's going on, we're thinking a name comes to our mind. Utter prayer and blessing over their life. Speak life. Speak better days. Speak the, the blessing of Christ. According to your faith, Jesus said, let it be done. Let that faith grab a hold of our heart. You know, and again, one of the things that is in this song is about the, it's called Better Days. It's about the voice of grace calling out to us. And there's a part of it that I think captures so much of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Green grass, I'm, I'm laying in the sunlight of you. And the wind is moving through the trees, ushering you. And the better days you bring, the better places found, feasting at your table. I am overwhelmed. I lift my glass. 
I drink to the love that never gave up. It's everything that God is. I drink to the love that never gave up. Clouds pass, fading into memories gone. And all I have to show is love, the love of God working in our lives. And Lord, how grateful we are for a love that prevails, for the good God, for how good it is to know you, Lord, how good it is to be able to live in the promise of who you are. And Lord, as we prepare to, to just move into these closing minutes with our closing song, which will follow our time of giving, I, I really pray that you would allow us to be just overwhelmed by, the, by your goodness and grace. Before we go into the rest of our day, let us sit in this place and just enjoy the gift and goodness of God and lay hold of the promises that you have for us and surrender again, Lord, those things that are holding us back, that we're so tempted to let lock us back up, Lord. Ways of thinking, ways of being, past scripting, Lord. All the stuff that keeps us from moving forward with the plans that you have for us. Do your good work, Lord. Let the, let the wind blow. Let the sun come in, Lord. Let us just feel the life of God as we close this time together. I really pray this. I pray it. With all my heart, in Jesus' name I pray, Lord. Amen. Lord, let it be, God.